Hello and welcome everyone to Greetings from Brussels, episode 25 of our Global Tech Swamp podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Taylor, and today I'm joined by Anna from our EU team. Hi, Anna. Hello. And by Stephen Dillip from our UK team. Hi, Stephen. Hi, everyone. And today we have some exciting announcement. We are merging our Greetings from Brussels and Greetings from the Swamp episode into one global Text one podcast. Our European, UK, um, and US teams will join forces once a month to provide you with all the important tech news from both sides of the Atlantic. So this is the last episode with me as your regular host, but we're incredibly excited to launch our global text one starting well, next month. So we'll have um, timely bonus mini episodes that highlight a specific policy in the EU, UK or the US. So keep your eyes and ears peeled and stay tuned for TechSwap. For today's episode, we'll look at what is on the agenda of the European institutions following the summer vacation. And it seems the European Union has a packed policy agenda ahead. One of the important common legislative proposals is the Cyber Resilience Act, which the Commission aims to release on the 15th of September. The Cyber Wizards Act is the European Commission's attempt to introduce common cybersecurity rules for manufacturers and vendors of digital products and services that protect consumers from insecure products and address market needs as our society becomes more connected. So in this episode, we are going to explain what's in the Cyber Resilience Act, what it means for businesses and consumers, and what are the next steps in the legislative process. And well, first of all, as always, we'll start with covering tech history and the top tech headlines from around Europe. It's September 1993, 29 years ago this month, Dutch computer scientist Oscar Nistras released one of the world's first web search engines. The so-called W3 catalog attempted to provide a general searchable catalog for resources on the World Wide Web by using already available, but manually maintained, list of web resources. W3 then mirrored and reformatted the content of those lists into individual entries and enabled front-end dynamic query via Perl, a programming language. W3 was launched at the University of Geneva and operated for about three years, being retired in November 96, before more modernized search engines started appearing. And that's all for Tech History Today. And now it's time for Brussels Bytes. Anna, Stephen, what are the latest top tech headlines from inside the Brussels bubble and throughout Europe? In Brussels, the old debate on whether internet companies should contribute to telecom companies' broadband infrastructure is resurfacing. Indeed, the European Commission is looking at the issue and would likely open up a consultation on whether technology firms should contribute to telecommunication network costs before the end of the first quarter of next year, 2023. Telecom companies will need to provide evidence that streaming sites such as Netflix um, and Alphabet's YouTube should pay for the additional traffic sent over their networks. A particular attention would also be given to the growth of the metaverse and the pressure it could put um, it could pose on networks. This is likely to be the next big policy fight in the digital field before the end of the mandate. We'll keep you informed on how this evolves. On August 31st, the German government formally adopted its second draft of the long-awaited digital strategy. Previous drafts had been criticized for being too vague and lacking a timetable. The strategy has been a central project promised in the 2021 coalition agreement and aims at stepping up digitalization in the country. 
Indeed, Germany ranked only 13th of 27 in the European Commission's 2022 digitalization report. The digital strategy is a cross-departmental umbrella strategy and therefore also defines the responsibilities of each ministry. According to the strategy, projects expected to have the greatest leverage are to be prioritized as they form the basis for many other digitization projects. This involves, for example, the provision of data and gigabit networks, but also plans to digitalize its administration as well as to expand the usage of the electronic health patient record. Now it's time for implementation. If you want more information on this, you can look at the show notes of this episode. This week, the European Commission is expected to release, um, or has potentially released by the time this episode is made available online, its last uh, legislative proposals before the end of its mandate in June 2024. As mentioned in the introduction of this episode, we're expecting a Cyber Resilience Act, which um, which we'll cover in our policy section, but there will also be a Media Freedom Act and a Single Market Emergency Instrument. The first, the Media Freedom Act, aims at protecting media freedom in the EU, in part to counter negative developments on this issue in Poland and Hungary. It will also aim at improving the transparency of audience measurement and on, on online platforms, new ways for news publishers to challenge social media's content moderation, and also tackle the use of spyware by the government or by journalists. Uh, the second bit of legislation, the Single Market Emergency Instrument, will look at securing Europe's supply chains. We will, of course, update you on these proposals in our next episode. And that's all for Brussels Bites. Now, on to the Cyber Resilience Act. As the economic opportunities that digital products and ancillary service generate are increasing across Europe, so are the challenges and risks our society faces. In total, um, in a totally connected ecosystem, one cybersecurity incident can severely disrupt economic and social activities and potentially affect the entire system. So it's definitely an important issue to address and ensure that consumers, businesses and our whole society can stay safe in the cyberspace. For this discussion, we're joined by Anna, our co-host and policy expert, to get started. Maybe you can explain the basics of the Cyber Resilience Act. Yeah, sure. Um, First of all, we're still in the beginning stages of this initiative, so a lot of things can still change um, on the way to the final legislation. Um, And as part of these beginning stages, the commission has already held um, a call for evidence and a public consultation, and we will know more details on what feedback they have taken into account once it unveils the legislative draft with concrete language and um, policy proposals. And so that said, the general goal of the the CRA, the Cyber Resilience Act, according to the commission, is to establish new cybersecurity rules for digital products and ancillary services and close the gaps that current cybersecurity legislation has left open. And that basically means that the CRA would complement the existing baseline of the revised Network and Information Security Directive, NIS for short, and the new Cybersecurity Act. And... This current framework we think has been really successful, but that's not a reason for the commission to not go further and build on that success when it's considering the Cyber Resilience Act. And adding to this existing baseline framework could actually be really useful and also allow for a flexible approach that enhances cybersecurity across Europe further and overall advances the digital single market, which 
is a goal that we at the App Association have because that would really benefit our members. And the commission is, is pursuing this initiative because it's identified several practical challenges in the European cybersecurity ecosystem. And that includes, um, for example, a lack of appropriate security and digital products and ancillary services, inadequate cybersecurity measures from um, companies, and that the current framework only covers certain life cycle stages of a product and it doesn't cover all types of digital products. And to address those issues, the Commission has three objectives, and those are enhancing and ensuring a high level of cybersecurity for a broad range of digital products and services, protecting users from insecure products, and motivate vendors to offer more secure products, and then also to level the playing field for vendors of digital products and ancillary services. And so overall, the Commission wants to increase um, trust in the digital market and increase transparency for consumers and vendors in the digital market. And how does the Commission propose to, to go forward and achieve those objectives? That's a good question because we don't quite know yet what's going to be in the proposal, but it's looking like the Commission will propose a horizontal regulation that lays down um, common cybersecurity rules that will be applicable to products with digital elements. And that obviously sounds quite broad, but the, regula the regulation includes um, rules for placing objects on the market um, that have digital elements and to ensure the cybersecurity of these products is a high level. Um, then it also includes essential requirements for the design, development, and production of digital products and the related and, and some related obligations for economic operators. And then it also includes essential requirements for the vulnerability handling process um, that manufacturers put in place to ensure that products are secure and that they remain secure during their whole life cycle. And then again, related obligations for economic operators that are um, in the context of these securing processes. And then there's also rules on market surveillance and enforcement of the above mentioned rules and requirements that they will be imposing on economic operators. So it's clear that once adopted, this will be really important for our members, especially those who work with connected devices. And so what what risk does our, our membership face currently today when it comes to a lack of cybersecurity standards and so on? Yeah, as you said, that's um, really important to our members because all of them, you know, produce objects with digital elements as the commission poses it. And so there are a variety of risks that they face. There's you know, malicious actors that steal legitimate applications, they remove their copyright protections, place the apps in illicit app stores for downloading, and then that all leads to misappropriating the revenue from the original developers to the malicious actors. And so these kinds of pirated apps and ransomware are not only harmful to consumers, um, they're also harmful to our members because it harms the trust that consumers have in their products. Um, so a seemingly trustworthy app that turns out to be pirated or a Trojan horse that, for example, downloads spyware um, onto a consumer's phone, that can also, like I said, destroy a developer's reputation. And then that can quickly mean end of life for their business because no one wants to download their products anymore. That Because once they have been um, burned by a fake app, they're unlikely to trust that vendor again. And so um, one example how 
they can increase cybersecurity for these kind of products is software updates. Those are a crucial form um, in achieving higher levels of cybersecurity and neutralizing existing vulnerabilities and patching them up with these updates. And so vendors release software updates regularly. And many of our members and many small companies in general, they seek to build their brand on um, software distribution, uh, distribution platforms like the app stores to provide um, their users with a trusted marketplace. And that makes it easier for them to gain consumer trust. And as we've said many times, if you find an app store on the app store, you're more likely to download it than if you find it on the internet. Um, and so for these small businesses and startups, software platforms already ensure high levels of security and trust in the interest of consumers and businesses. And the current levels of cybersecurity and privacy in that large software platform um, environment, they, they guarantee that small app developers can be supported and then they can continue to rely on consumer trust to compete with global brands and continue to grow their business. And so, okay, can you explain um, how and why it would be important for them to, to really follow and understand this legislation moving forward? Yeah, there's so there's two different sides of this for our members. One um, is obviously the security of their own businesses, and two um, is security of their consumers and the trust that consumers have in our members' businesses. And our members are small technology and app development companies, which makes them more vulnerable to security threats in cyberspace because they don't have the capacity of big businesses to respond to them. So for them, the consequences of malicious actors gaining access to their technology and or their customer data can cause irreparable damage and, um, you know, lead to the loss of reputation, as I've mentioned before, which con constitutes an ex existential threat to small businesses because they don't have that much to build on. Um, and so our members' ability to mitigate serious and dynamic cyber threats is crucial to their livelihood. And that means that small businesses really do have very strong incentives to implement stringent cybersecurity measures and increase their resilience to protect themselves and their consumers. And so in that sense, um, the Cyber Resilience Act, you know, is a very important tool that can help our members to address the issue of harmful actors by A, preserving the current security environment, especially on software distribution platforms, and B, to ensure the continued success of small and medium-sized enterprises as well as startups. And this is especially important in the context of other European legislation like the Digital Markets Act, because there are some aspects of the Digital Markets Act that actually risk lowering the current level of privacy and security um, in the software distribution environment because it mandates practices like sideloading um, or introduces third party app stores onto devices. And that increases the likelihood of invasive trafficking, fraud and piracy. And then, in turn, that increases the cost for app developers in maintaining a cyber resilient environment for the benefit of consumers. And the Cyber Resilience Act could be a tool to address these issues. So, yeah, those are all positive elements. But again, we're also aware that further regulating cybersecurity could entail excessive compliance costs and have disproportionate effects on small app developers. And we think the Commission has an opportunity here to make sure that this regulation benefits small businesses in their efforts to increase their cyber resilience 
while avoiding excessive compliance for these developers. Mm-hmm. And so when you say excessive costs and disproportionate effects, um, what are we specifically con- um, are we are we concerned here uh, in a, in this text or in general? Yeah. So some specific or well, I'll get into specifics later. But some general concerns that we usually have about policy initiatives like this is that often policy ideas or requirements that sound good on paper are really hard for small companies to implement. So for example, small businesses don't usually have the luxury to hire um, a dedicated cybersecurity team or dedicate large budgets to hiring consultants or contractors who can ensure that their cybersecurity is sound. Um, And that makes cyber threats even more substantial for small businesses. And so when the commission is considering rigid requirements and obligations, it should think about whether those really help small businesses or if they actually hurt them. And our members already have very strong incentives to implement adequate security safeguards because they largely depend on consumer trust to succeed. And cybersecurity is a crucial aspect in building and retaining consumer trust for them. So they already want to do this. So it might not be in their best interest to have to follow these rigid requirements on how to do it. Yeah, for sure. So now let's talk about specifics. So what's your overall (laughs) assessment um, of the new Cyber Resilience Act? Right. So we're working with limited information here. (laughs) Um, The text is going to be released this week. At the point this podcast is um, uploaded, it might have just been released. So we can give a little bit of a general overview because we still need to do a deep dive into the actual text. Um, But from what I can tell at this point, there's some good things and other things that need to be improved as always. on the one hand, the, the Cyber Resilience Act harmonizes and improves cybersecurity in Europe and follows a risk-based approach, which is great. So that means certain products will be subject to stricter requirements based on their risk profile. And this is great because it's flexible and doesn't, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach usually doesn't work in the tech space. So, um, And then additionally, the text also creates a uniform legal framework for essential cybersecurity requirements replacing products with digital elements on the market. Um, And by listing essential cybersecurity requirements, the Cyber Resilience Act adds to the existing baseline of the cybersecurity framework that I mentioned earlier by creating a common and basic set of rules that is applied to all manufacturers, um, as well as importers and distributors of products. And that's great because that means they only have to deal with one legal framework and not 27 across the EU. And then also, according to the commission, the Cyber Resilience Act will reduce the number of cybersecurity incidents, um, incident handling costs, and reputational damage, which is great because that's a um, big concern to our members. And the commission expects the act to lead to an estimated cost reduction of 180 to 290 billion euros annually in the whole EU. And if that comes true, fabulous for all all, um, actors in the digital economy. And as a whole, the commission also expects it to enhance consumer trust, security and privacy in the EU. Those are all things that we obviously support at the App Association. Um, And the essential requirements that it includes will be subject to internal control and self-assessment of manufacturers um, for non-critical products, um, which is good because that means companies can kind of assess how they follow the rules on their own and do it how they best see fit. 
All right. So now, what's on the other hand? So is there anything that we need to improve in there? Right. I did mention that there are some things that could be improved. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, on that, the, the Cyber Resilience Act also mandates a certain level of cybersecurity across products with digital elements instead of creating further incentives to enhance cybersecurity. Um, and that is really, that's a really inflexible approach. And those kind of approaches are never really that great for small businesses. Um, and while the essential requirements listed appear to be reasonable, the list of the quote, critical products with digital elements, quote, unquote, is, is very broad and that could oblige certain manufacturers to follow very burdensome and costly conformity assessment procedures um, if it's not well developed and kind of narrow who has to do that. And that means overall the Cyber Resilience Act is, is likely to increase compliance costs and we hope that that won't have a disproportionate effect on um, our small business members and um, those of our members who are IoT manufacturers. The CRA is likely to increase compliance costs, which the European Commission even states in its own impact assessment. So for uh, software developers and hardware manufacturers, it will add direct compliance costs for new security requirements, conformity assessments, documentation and reporting obligations. um, And that will lead to an aggregated compliance cost increase of up to 29 billion euros for an estimated value of 1.48 billion in turnover. And that's obviously a huge amount, um, especially if you co- um, if you consider that most European businesses are small and medium sized, and that's a lot of money for them um, to spend just on compliance costs. Um, and in that same vein, the Commission also foresees that business users, consumers, and citizens may face higher prices of products with digital elements as a result of those increased compliance costs. Um, and so, you know. Your device is more secure, maybe, because they already have incentives to make them secure. So it might not be more secure than it was before, but you have to pay more for compliance, so then your product is going to be more expensive. So that's something to think about, and we hope that they you know, work out more incentives rather than <laughs> more obligations um, for businesses to, to um, increase your cybersecurity resilience. And the last one I'll mention is that the the, um, proposal mentions notification bodies that are required to take the interests and capacities of SMEs into account when setting the prices for conformity assessments, Um, but it does still apply indistinctly to both small and large company, um, small and large companies. So yeah, that's, it's important to see where this goes in practice and we'll be watching where policymakers go and obviously we'll be advocating for our small business members along the way. That's going to be super important, um, and I know that at the station we'll definitely monitor that and deep dive into the proposal as soon as it's out. Um, so, but until then, do we have a clear idea of the next steps? We know that it's going to be released on the fifteenth, um, and so what's what's next? Yeah, so they um, will just be releasing this proposal. Um, so there's. The classic next steps of another public consultation on the specific proposal that the Commission has come up with. Um, The text will also go through the European Parliament and the Member States in the Council of the EU. 
Uh, both of those institutions will then have to draft their respective positions on the act before they can negotiate and agree on a common text that all three of them, the commission, parliament, and the council have then agreed on at the very end. Um, and then this process, we hope, will remains to be seen, um, will be finalized before the end of the commission's mandate in June 2024, because then it's election season and most things in the EU will probably move very slowly from there on. Yeah, no, for sure. So we'll, well, we'll definitely keep, you, um, keep our listeners posted on the next developments when the timeline uh, becomes clearer. Um, but thank you so much, Anna, for your insights. It's always a pleasure to hear um, all the details about new legislative proposals. Yeah, anytime. Thank you for having me. And now it's time for random identifiers. Um, well, actually, this I might start with Stephen. Yeah, sure. So, um, I uh, mine's more of a, a thank you rather than a random identifier. We've got a new baby in my house who's just over wow. a month old, and she's very cute, but doesn't sleep a lot. So I'm very, I'm a very, t- <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very tired man, and. Um, I've rediscovered the wonderful world of white noise apps. So these are apps you can get on your phone that like play the sound of a vacuum cleaner or they play the sound of rain and yes. on a window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like TV white noise and they really help with babies going to sleep. So if anyone listens if anyone listening to this makes one of those apps, I will buy you a drink if I ever meet you because you're an absolute <laughs> lifesaver. <laughs> well that's I, great. I, I still hope that you're going to get some sleep at some point, yeah. but um, it's good. There's an app for everything when you think about it. So yeah, there really is. Like, the, like on a on a slightly more serious note, like when you have young kids, you realise there's a whole world of really useful apps out there that help with things like um, help with things like white noise, or they'll help with working up their routines, or they'll help with monitoring them when they're having naps so yeah there's a great selection of apps out there for, for your did you kids. know there's other like this sounds dumb but there's other colors of noise there's also pink noise and blue noise and gray noise <laughs> did you guys know I, that no but it, i don't think it, i could it, tell it, the difference if you like played them to me but they exist okay so a deep dive for our next <laughs> uh, podcast session to uh, see what's uh the what's colors of noise. <laughs> sounds very philosophical <laughs> the colors of noise yeah and so for you, Anna, what do you have for us? Um, mine is not app related, but um, by the time this podcast airs, I will be um, in Germany, which I'm very excited about because I haven't been there for a long time for various reasons. Um, but I am very, very excited to finally be able to go home. And I'm also very excited to see my podcast co hosts in Brussels in September. <laughs> That was going to be my random identifier. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say exactly the same thing. We can thing. have a joint random identifier. <laughs> so yeah, very excited to, 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 to see the whole team. So the, um, for our listeners, the, the yeah. whole European ACT team is meeting next week uh, in person. So it's been ages. Um, yeah, it'll be the first that. time I'm seeing either of you face to face since December 2021, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just to add some context to that, um, Anna's currently in Washington, yeah, D.C. Yeah, I live in D.C. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm over in England and Morgana's in Brussels. So, yeah, it's very rare that we see each other in real life, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Finally. So, yeah, we might do a mini episode from that. <laughs> L- live to <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that good note, we've reached the end of our last 
episode of Greetings from Brussels and of course you can continue to listen to all the EU, UK and US tech policy updates in our global TechSum podcast. And if you're interested in learning more, head over to our website at actonline.org slash where you'll find our show notes. We also have transcripts available. You can find them at the top of our show notes as well as on podscribe.com. Just search TechSwamp. And if you want to subscribe, and let's be honest, why wouldn't you? You can do so on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to get the latest episodes first. And don't forget to rate and review. It really helps us out. And thank you so much for listening. And bye to everyone. <laughs> bye. Bye. See you both soon. <laughs>